Hi guys, hope you're all keeping safe and well. Welcome to another episode of Brown Car Guy and Buddies. And today I'm talking to a very senior executive at Ford. In fact, he is Ford of Britain's Executive Director of Communications and Public Affairs. He's got two jobs. He's also Director of News Operations at Ford of Europe. I hope you've noticed that I've changed my uh, screen display to a Mustang. Come on, you know I like Mustangs anyway, as you can see. Uh, regular viewers will know that. And if you're not a regular viewer, make sure that you are subscribing and hit that bell notification icon so you get updates every time i upload one of these videos and of course follow me on all social media that's instagram twitter facebook uh, just follow hashtag brown car guy and once you've done that make sure you're subscribing to browncarguy.com so let's get into this we're going to be chatting to a chap named john gardner but he goes by another name as well and we're going to get into that this is really going to be good Or should I say Yahya? How you doing, mate? You, you can call me Yahya. Assalamu alaikum to you, Shazad. And a belated Eid Mubarak to you as well. And a very belated Eid Mubarak to you as well. I hope you were a good boy during Eid. Oh, yeah, yeah. We stayed at home and we behaved ourselves and all that. I tell you what, that's been one of the few benefits of lockdown. It's actually been easier, I found, this year than in past years, simply because you were at home, you yeah. weren't traveling. You weren't having to go to work. It yeah. just made life a bit easier during what is often quite a quite a difficult period, to say the least. Yeah. So you, in terms of fasting and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So were you fasting? Yes. Yeah. I did. I did. Wow. I got to. I got to put my hand on my heart and said I didn't quite do every day, so I've got a few yeah. more to do. Um, but but um, tried to do as much as I could this year. Yeah. So some people watching might be a little bit confused because in my intro, I didn't go into this aspect of you yeah. and they're like, what? Yeah. What is he talking about? So do you um, want to tell us a little bit about how all of this, this has happened then? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's not a problem. I, um, I, I was very fortunate to, to marry a, a young Muslim lady uh, 30 years almost ago now. It's, oh, actually, I should get that right. I was 26 years ago now. Um, but prior to actually marrying, I, I did convert to Islam. Um, it wasn't because I was getting married. Um, it was really because it was the right thing to do at the right time, and that's why I did it. In fact, my, my in-laws were, were very, very understanding from that point of view. My, my wife's family comes from South Africa, so they are all too familiar with what racism and division can do to people. So there was never any pressure from the family. It was as Islam should be. It was very much a, a self-desire to, to convert. Um, but I decided it was something that I wanted to do. So that was, oh yes, 27 years or so ago now. Well, I mean, you've covered, you've, you've, you've touched on a lot of things already there. And I'm gonna, we want to get into a little bit yep. more detail into that. But, um, but let's go right back to the beginning. Um, because yep. You know, you were a journalist. The world or just... No, 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 <laughs> beginning. No, so, because that, that would be like... <laughs> big bang theory. <laughs> we get into all kinds of weird philosophical discussions then. No, but, no what, I wanted to say, what I wanted to find out is that because you were actually a journalist as well, weren't you? I was, and that is going back quite a long time ago now. That, uh, I've been at Ford for 30 years now. 
Um, but for a short for a short while, for a good sort of two years, I was the assistant editor at Custom Car Magazine, which uh, many people might remember. Uh, and I believe it's still going. I think uh, I think thankfully there are still some people out there that that are keen on hot rodding and customizing. So I spent about two years at uh, a custom car. Uh, but then after that, I had quite a sideways step because I, I moved to a different publishing house and ended up being a, an assistant editor on a catering title for a, at least oh, a right. couple of months before. Okay. So, but that, that in itself was fascinating. That whole restaurant, that whole restaurant environment, mm -hmm. restaurant world, catering. Um, I never realized before I joined that magazine just how many sort of top-notch restaurants still buy stuff in packets to wow. come through suppliers. <laughs> so it was quite quite an eye-opener as well. But yeah, just really interesting to be involved in a, in a very different world, even though it was only for, I think it was six or seven short months in the end. Well, the thing is, you were a car guy, weren't you? I mean, because I remember, like, you, you said you, you oh, started boy. your uncle's yep. American car spare parts shop or some garage or something That's like that. Right. My, my sort of intro to, to the world of cars started at a very young age. I was eight years old when I first went to, to work for my uncle. And he had a second-hand American car spares business in West London. And, I, and I'm still, even to this day, I'm really good at taking things apart, but I'm completely right. rubbish putting them back together again. So <laughs> You always um, end up with too many screws and little bits and go, oh. <laughs> Always, there's always a bit left over somewhere and it never quite works out properly. But I, I, ended, I, I started out working for him when I was eight and then, uh, and it was literally was my Saturday job. I think my parents decided it would be, be nice for me to be out of the house for a bit. So they used to trundle me off with my uncle. And I did that for four or five years and then he sort of oh. sold on the business. And then I moved to, to a couple of guys that were essentially selling American cars and they also got involved in selling sort of Jaguars, sort of historic Jaguars, uh, Ferraris and the like. And I worked with them actually probably for about the next 10 or 11 years. Wow. So my Saturday job as a child and onwards mm -hmm. was always around sort of cars. And, you know, I think so I sold talking, my... You're talking a good 14, 15 years working around cars and stuff like that. And particularly even yeah. like... You know, unusual, not like regular cars, but unusual cars like hot rods and custom cars and American cars and stuff like that. And it was always sort of, that was always very much part of part of my life. And it was, to me, it was something I was really interested in because I love cars. But it was also, even as a, you know, a school kid, basically, it was providing me with a, a very small income, but an income anyway. But it led into other things. I think, I, I know I, I sold my first car when I was about 12. Still not quite sure how, but seem to have managed it at 12. Can you, can you remember one. what it was? Oh, gosh. I think it was an old Barracuda. It might have been a wow. 67 Barracuda. Don't long, long time ago. A 60s Barracuda when you were yeah. 12 years old. How cool is that? Oh, I tell you, that the, the things that I've sort of had go through my hands and even cars when I was working with my uncle that would come in, they'd have a few issues and we would break them. You know, and you look and you think, gosh, you know, 65, 66 Mustangs, early Trans Ams, 68, 67 Camaros and the like. And, uh, but yeah, but I, I ended up, I had my first Rolls Royce at 16. Oh my um, goodness. Before I had a license, Shazad, but it actually came in 500 parts on the back of a trailer. 
So it was all bits and pieces. And I, I think I ended up swapping it for a load of paintings. And I think there was some kind of orange juice or something. That it was like a couple of hundred gallons of orange juice that during the middle of the summer that I could it's sell not, on. It sounds like a bit so of a West London um, wheeler dealer. This is like a Del Boy. What's going was, on? Uh, <laughs> Maybe you used to sell sort of um, scenic paintings up, um, up on Kew Bridge many years yeah. ago as well. So it, it was really interesting. It was quite a novel sort of background and an experience. My, my first car, actually, my first, if you like, legally driven car in the UK that I owned and was on the street was actually a 1974 Chevy Vega. Wow. But it did have a Ford card in it. It got a Ford nine-inch rear end at the back of it. So oh it wasn't goodness. completely GM, So I That's think, amazing. But, uh, so you got a real grounding in some really cool cars very, very early on. And you got custom it, mag and then a couple other mags. But then you yeah. saw... You got you got smart. You saw the the light, and <laughs> instead of continuing down this route of journalism, as some of us stupidly persist, you you decided or, to, to move into something that was actually more sensible, or, or secondhand car dealing, which my father was extremely worried about because I was still doing it even at university, and I think he had visions of of me becoming sort of a, a young Arthur Daly, <laughs> and uh, what all this education had, had been been for. Uh, but yeah, but, but basically it all sort of came together. I mean, I've, I've worked a custom car for a couple of years and then, if you like, honed a journalistic skill for a short time at, at Reed Business Publishing. Um, but I'd studied politics at university and I'd never, I'd never been one that I wanted to practice politics. I always yeah. find you know, the confines of a party system and that mm -hmm. kind of adherence that you, you have to give to a party really wasn't for me. But I find the whole political process very interesting. So I'd studied politics, I got the love of, of cars, and then one day I just saw that uh, a job had come up at, initially for a governmental affairs manager in Ford of Britain. And uh, I thought, well, that looks interesting, I'll apply for it. And as these things often do, I think from the date that I applied to the day I got offered the job was almost a year. Because during oh, really? that cycle, things wow. had changed for them. No, the, the job wasn't quite there anymore, and then the job came back. But it, it took about a year. And um, I was then fortunate enough back in 1990 to join the press office team uh, under the, uh, the auspices of uh, some real great old PR characters, uh, which was absolutely wonderful for me. And, um, yeah, it's gone on ever since then. So, that's, so you're 30 years with Ford, is it? Now that, that how long you've been 30, with Ford? 30 years this year. But I, but I tell you what, Shazad, I think, you know, and again, I think this is one of the benefits even for younger people coming into the industry today. It's, it's a symptom, I think, of larger organisations anyway, but particularly ones that are so all-encompassing like the auto industry is that it's 30 years, but literally every few years there's a new opportunity or a new job new place to work so i've worked uh, you know i spent quite a bit of time in germany uh my my children were born when i was out in in detroit in the mid 1990s i've had wow. jobs as obviously in the us but also in in europe uh, you know as i mentioned germany but also in in the uk uh spent quite a bit of time when i was doing the design job looking after gear in Italy and for a wow. short while while they were in between things sort of looking after uh, the guys in the Middle East and Africa as well so I, I know I, that. I'll, co I'll come to that in a minute but you've touched yeah. on something very interesting there and you know obviously 
like I get approached by a lot of young people because they go, oh, yeah. Shazad, you have the best job in the world. And I'm like, well, it, it's got its highs, but it's got its lows, you know. Not and bad, I do, is it? Yeah, it's, it, it can be fun. But I yeah. do advise a lot of people because I say, well, why do you want to get into it? And they're like, well, you know, we're into cars. We like cars. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, there's other things that you can do. And I think that's something yeah. that you're illustrating there, isn't it? I mean, especially with a big organization like Ford. Are they, are they, do they regularly have opportunities for young people to try out stuff that they could get into as a career? Yeah, and I mean, sort of, for example, in Ford of Britain, we still have a graduate recruitment scheme that uh, does the milk rounds each year. And I, I would say to people, if you're interested, doesn't matter what area you're interested in. I think one of the, and I think one of the benefits of the graduate recruitment scheme is that when you come on board, you can try a number of different fields, see where you really fit into and what you would like to, to, to follow your career path through. But um, yeah, you're right, Shazad. And I think the, the issue today is there are so many more opportunities. Um, you know, even engineering-wise, what are going to be the requirements as we move forward in the car industry? Mechanical engineering, yep, still. But you know, so much now is software and software development. Mm -hmm. um, even on marketing, you know, some of the skills that we're looking at for people with marketing now also include their ability in terms of, of gaming because yeah. there's such a crossover between some of yeah. that stuff and some of the things that we're doing now in the digital environment. In fact, I saw during lockdown, didn't you put out something about doing car development, vehicle development through virtual reality? Wasn't that something that was going on at Ford? Yes, and that's right. We had, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's, it's still up there. You can still mm -hmm. see it on the web, but we had um, uh, some of our de designers uh, across the globe led by sort of Amco Lennertz and, and Maury Cullum in the US, mm -hmm. just showing what can be done in a virtual world in terms of actually sort of still designing vehicles, mm -hmm. um, you know, don't need that physical presence so much. Now, the, the tools that we're seeing, and actually, I'll tell you what, the, the, one of the best uses that I've seen of, of this kind of virtual technology recently has been the fact that Ford's been very much involved in building ventilators for the national health system. And part of that is involved working with some other really cool companies you know, Airbus and Penlon, the, the company that actually manufactures or, or started to manufacture the, the, the ventilators in the first place. But what we found is that uh, we had one or two people at Penlon who were the real gurus in terms of their knowledge on ventilators, but they were self-isolating. Right. So as we moved into trying to mass produce these things. We needed to talk to these people. Yeah. And it's one thing to talk to them on WebEx or by FaceTime mm. or Zoom. But really, we wanted to work, not just talk with them, we wanted to work with them as well. Yeah. So we were using a, a new sort of, uh, it's not really virtual reality, it's more like a mixed reality or augmented mm. reality right, technology right. Yeah. called HoloLens 2 that um, Microsoft had sort of been pioneering with the, the US military. But we could actually get our guys working with these people that were in isolation, these real real sort of ventilator gurus at Benlon. Yeah. And they could actually work together in real time. That's and it incredible. was fascinating. And the learnings from that and the, the way of overcoming problems was so much quicker than any other form of technology that we could have used um, that really helped speed on sort of the, the development and also the production of the, the ventilators. So that it sounds incredible. It, it sounds very. It sounds very Star Wars, doesn't it? Is with all the holograms and stuff like that. But uh, oh, but but moving back into 
into PR. That's where you first got into. And of course, that's basically, you know, uh, an area that you're very involved in. Um, you must have I always, because whenever I have PR people involved in these chats, you know, because being on this side and PR people being on the other side, it's always interesting to get their perspective on the whole media thing and how media deals with cars <laughs> and how media copes yeah. with this situation. But you, you, I mean, in 30 years, you must have some incredible stories to tell. I, I probably do. I'm not sure I should tell them, though. <laughs> we do spoil you, boys and girls. You know what? Yeah, that, that, that can happen. That can happen. Yeah. yeah. But what's no, what are the real challenges when, when it comes to these sort of things? I, I think, ah, I think what is really important, even in this day and age of technology and everything else, is personal relationships. And it's, you know, it's still sitting down, it's meeting people, having a coffee, having a lunch talking to them because i it i think one of the key things in pr is understanding what your needs are as much as what we want to tell you you know i could sit here all day and give you the latest spiel about uh, you know a new product and whatever and whatever etc but if it's not relevant to you and your audience that's not going to help so i think it it really comes down to listening to you guys not us not just talking about what we're doing but really listening to you and what your needs are and then trying to meet in the middle so that it benefits both you get the story you need we're able to tell the story that we want to tell on that particular product or that particular service so i think it's yeah it's personal relationships and really building those relationships but also never forgetting that it's it's a two-way relationship that's a, that's I mean I absolutely totally agree with all of that and I think that'd be particularly interesting because um, I think that you were involved in establishing the the strategy for uh, communications in the Middle East in I think 2014 something around that time you must have yep. found that market very interesting and, and a little bit different to what you were used to in, in the UK and I, Europe surely yeah no ab absolutely and I, I tell you what even from my time working in Europe you become very aware of the differences between markets you know even when they they might be physically next to each other like france and germany but the relationships the the way you deal with media how you access all the stories can be very different in those markets and obviously you know i, I found it I, I didn't spend as much time as i'd like to have working with the guys in, in the middle east and africa and you know had a really good team there at the time with Sue Gagosian and yeah. a few other people that were working there that, that really understood the media but yeah, again, it was a fascinating experience. Just seeing the the differences in media, the the you know the the differences in the the amount of, of freedom that journalists had. Um, but again, you know, to be honest with you, the thing that I think unites anyone that is in the car industry or should be in the car industry, and also on your side of the fence, is a love of cars. Yes. So it doesn't matter if you're a journalist from from Oman south africa the us or you know even here in the uk you guys all love cars and i'd like to think the most of us in the car industry and i think that's also something true for young people going into mm. or thinking about careers in the car industry or actually in any industry mm. you've got to love what you're doing you know yeah. you've got to really enjoy it and like it I and mean, it's like with I've, you know i've got twin daughters and they're 25 now and they, they said to me, Dad, what should we do? Should we go into marketing? Should we go into the... Well, I said, go into what really interests you and that somewhere you think you can build a career, but where you're going to be happy and will help you to grow 
not just in your career, but also as a person as well. I think so it's particularly... Go on, finish the thought. I think, I think that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed in, in my career is really I've had the opportunity to work with people in, in very different cultures. Um, as I said, yeah, there's that common core of media you know, and there is a lot of similarity between journalists wherever they're from but always understanding the cultural differences as well and seeing those little nuances and how things play out slightly different in different markets yeah. and how you might adjust that messaging is really interesting and always well, respecting cultures and those differences. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think, well, again, I was going to go into a different point, but there's something that you've touched yeah. on there, particularly with Middle East culture, because obviously since you have the, the, the connection to, to the religion as well. Well, I mean, was that, I mean, you said you actually converted before you got married. Was you always, were you always a spiritual person? Was that something that you were always interested in? Not, not in that sense, to be perfectly frank. I'd always been quite an atheist prior to that. All right, um, interesting. I found, I, I have, in my family, we have a, a long-standing connection with, uh, with the Chinese family over three generations. Yeah. I became right. very interested, even at a young age, in, 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 in Chinese philosophy, and particularly in, in, in Taoism. And, and I still have an interest in that, but then I see a lot of that reflected in Islam as well. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't, and as I said, it just seemed at the time it was the right thing to do at the right time. I mean, one of the interests that you list um, in, the, in, the, in the literature that you sent me was studying Chinese and Malay fighting arts. Have you found yeah. that useful in your career as a, in PR? I don't know. We'll, we'll see if you ever write a bad review <laughs> uh, of one of our products. <laughs> um, yeah, I, t I tell you what, yes, in the sense that to really access and understand those arts, you... you you have to put yourself more into a mindset from where those cultures came from. And they're two quite distinct and quite different cultures. And I think having studied them from a fairly young age, that, that, sort of, that sort of helped in my working life as well, because you know, I will never be Chinese, I will never be a Malay, but I think if you can go at least halfway or at least want to understand somebody else's culture, it makes it a lot easier and it makes those people feel a lot more open to actually yeah. opening the door to you. And you find that you learn a lot more and that um, you know, people are willing to give you much more time if, you, if you're, you're willing to do that. And I, I just find it interesting. I, I just find you know, humanity a very interesting subject because it, at the core of it, we're all the same, but then we all have our own different nuances and our different cultural backgrounds. And, you know, no one's completely right. No one's completely wrong. So I think you know, to be able to look into other cultures and to see what works for them and what's best, and maybe you can adapt some of that for your own life, it's a really important thing to do. And I, I think, think it's, it's, you know, particularly now when we're seeing what's happening in the world, that, uh, you know, it's something, something that I think is really, really important. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think this is a particularly pertinent point in, you know, what's happening now with the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement and also what uh, what we've learned here in the UK regarding uh, BAME and how they're affected by COVID-19. I saw somewhere, I think it was on a LinkedIn post, that there had been an internal communication at Ford about, you know, addressing these concerns. And I thought, well, that was quite an impressive step from a, a company such as that. No, absolutely. And it's, you know, Shazad, one of the things that, that 
that's made me proud to actually work for Ford over the years is that we always tend to do the right thing at the right time. And I think that's certainly been true. Even when I look back on my career, when we've sort of you know, sold Jaguar Land Rover, Aston mm -hmm. Martin and Volvo, people often say, oh, why did you do that? I mean, there's real rational business reasons at the time, but we did it in a way that all those companies are still running. You know, they're still there. They've still mm -hmm. got a presence in the marketplace. We didn't just walk away. And I've seen that even when we've done some of the, you know, one of the most difficult things you can do in the car industry is to close a plant yeah. because, you know, you're not just closing a physical location, you're having a, a real having an impact. impact in the whole area. Yeah, exactly. It's not and just the, a one you, factory. You know, and again, as hard as that is, you always felt that as we've done that at Ford, you can at least hold your head up knowing that you've tried to do your very best for people. And I think, um, you know, certainly with the, the, the message that went round from Bill Ford and, and from Jim Hackett last week, again, it was a very important thing to do, knowing that there is a real direct impact for people, particularly in the US. But also the message in there was, wherever you are in the world, reflect on this too. You know, talk to your colleagues. Mm. You know, their issues might not be a racial issue. It could be diversity of another nature. But, but reflect on this and just just work together as a team, see where there are issues and, and try and help to overcome these matters. So, yeah, I think that's that was a really important communication and came at exactly the right time. And as you say, it's it's important because, as we know, you know the issues that the people are facing in the U.S. are not simply U.S. issues. They are mm. global issues and they're certainly still issues in the U.K. And I, I've, I've even seen that with my own daughters. You know, I've seen people racially, well, I haven't seen it because I might have had a different reaction if I'd seen it, but I know... Some, some, people, some of those Chinese fighting arts might have come into play then. <laughs> possibly, but I, you know, when that happens to your own, and I think even, yeah. you know, even, even within my own family, as I said, my wife's Asian yeah. from South Africa, like my kids have experienced this, but even part of my family are, are mm -hmm. part Indian, part Asian. Mm -hmm. um, so I've seen that from myself and it's, you realize that we've still got a long, long way to go to cure these problems. I think that's very, uh, it's an incredible opportunity to have that insight because one of the discussions that of course have been having a lot in the public domain is about, you know, the nature of racism, you know, and, and many people yes. that think they understand it don't really understand it. And I, I, I suppose it's a, it's a, suppose a, a little bit of a brown badge of honor to wear to say that, well, you don't know what it is unless you've experienced it. But, you know, having grown up in London in the 70s, yeah, yeah I've experienced it and I can define yeah. what it is and what it isn't, you know. Yeah. But it, it's hard as an organization to really understand that and then to, to sort of the, the tread the sort of very thin ground that you have to in order to accommodate people, but without, you know, upsetting people's sensitivities, I suppose. Yes, but I, I think sometimes maybe with majorities their sensitivities as we're seeing in the u.s do need to be exposed mm -hmm. you know i think one of, one of the things that we're seeing in the u.s is that a lot of people now are looking at what's going on and they're seeing things through a different lens they yeah. might have the blind eye in the past or you know and i think sometimes you do have to make people confront things mm -hmm. um through their own self they they might not have seen that in the past well they might have they might be totally innocent they might have been completely yeah. unaware of it. oh but, but I, think I think so i think so i feel like in a lot of cases people can be 
subtly racist without actually realizing that they are being so because they simply have no comprehension of what the impact of what they say or do or imply can have on other people. No, ab absolutely. And no real sort of, you know, their, their worlds are often so small that they don't understand this. I mean, I remember the first day my wife took my twin daughters to school, um, somebody turned around, one of the other mothers turned around and said, oh, you must be the maid. You know, because because my, my children are slightly slightly wider than my wife. And you think, well, and it wasn't said as malice. Yeah. Obviously, you know, yeah. it, it yeah. showed a complete lack of understanding or even thought that, well, perhaps this you know, perhaps people do have mixed marriages. Yeah. You know, <laughs> not all the same. You know, it's just strange. Strange sometimes. So, so we have an opportunity now to hit a little bit of a reset button because every because you know even Ford yeah. and also most of the car industry has been in lockdown and it's been essentially furloughed. Yeah, we've been you've been doing other stuff like you said ventilators and people have been doing face masks and PPE yeah. and stuff like that. But how has it been? Because I mean, you said before we started this, you you told me you've been very very busy recently because it's all kind of started yeah. with the showrooms and everything. So how has been that reset and what have you sort of learned to come out of this and how do you think that's helped? Has this been a benefit at all? This gap. Uh, well, you see the death rates each day. It's it's, yeah. it's most hard to talk about a benefit, but I think in some ways it probably has been. Um, you know, we're coming out. I say we're not coming out of it. I mean, mm -hmm. we're into the next phase of things. Not quite sure where things will go from here. I'm not sure any of us are, but we're starting to get the the operations up and running again. So our manufacturing plants across Europe were down for for a good six seven weeks. They're all back online, but obviously things are, are turning over a little slower. We're not at full production. That's going to take a few months yet, uh, hopefully, to get back to back into that position. Um, but I think one of the things that it showed is that even through this, people or a lot of people have still been able to work from home or from remote locations. And what I think one of the things, one of the real learnings for me is when we first went to working from home about 12 weeks ago, for a lot of us in, if you like, the salaried jobs or mm. those jobs that don't require you to go into a production facility to build a vehicle or, or an engine, uh, or those, that, you know, the engineers that really need to have their equipment around them to actually do things like emissions testing, etc. Mm. For a lot of the rest of us, I think initially there was a sense of, well, we're all going to work from home. And is this going to be like treading water? You know, is this just going to be about just keeping things going? Yeah. But I think what it's shown is that actually, no, what's actually happened is there's been a lot of innovation during this time. Mm. You guys have all had to be more innovative because you haven't yeah. been able to get there no. and get the usual content of driving vehicles and, you know, video, doing your videos or writing about them. So you've had to look at things differently. For us, we've had to think differently in terms of how do we service you guys? Mm -hmm. You know, what do we now, if we can't give you a physical vehicle, what can we give you that mm -hmm. will still enable you to talk about us and our products and, and, and know the progress that we're making? Um, I think it will lead to much greater use of digitalization. I think that will be one of the things that we'll see coming out of this, uh, even in terms of online sales. Right. You know, I think that you know, the online sales of vehicles in, in the UK, it, it always been sort of, um, you know, it, it's been there. It's but been it's there for quite a few years. Yeah. I mean, I can remember even yeah. two decades ago, we were talking about online yeah. sales, but it never really took off because people it, need the physicality of touching and feeling a vehicle, don't they? 
Ab- absolutely. And, that, and I think that that will still be mm-hmm. true as we move forward. I think people still like to sit and feel, you know, it's a bit, but mm-hmm. I think, I think more and more people are more willing now to look at, yeah. you know, with the amount of digital tools that are available to them, it gives them much more of a, a, a showroom sense from their living room. So I think, I think we will see a lot more of that. I think in a sense, it probably will change working culture for a lot of people as they so realize. You a, so you that. see a long lasting impact of what we've gone through. You see maybe, maybe more people working from home and they don't need to go into the office I, and maybe, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I think so. I, th- I think that's going to be sort of a legacy of this. And it's, it's, I think the next six months are going to be really interesting because I'm not sure we really know what will happen. No. Um, no, God willing, we don't end up with a, no. a second peak or, or anything like that. No, in a sense, one of the best things that could happen to the, all of the ventilators we build is that they go into a warehouse and they're yeah, not needed. Indeed, indeed. So, indeed. so that, that, would be, that would be a good result. But I think, yeah, I think there will be legacies from this. I think, um, you know, just in terms of social distancing, people's greater awareness. I mean, I, you know, before all this happened, you get on the tube in London and people would be coughing and spluttering and... <laughs> Yeah, you think I'd, I'll probably get a cold from this, but this yeah. is life. I'm no, not sure people yeah. want to get that so much. I mean, I'll even, tell you what, you know, living in living in northwest London, you know, I mean, yeah. I use the, I use public transport a lot normally, but now I haven't been on public transport since this all happened, and I'm to be honest, I'm, yeah. I have to be honest and say I'm quite anxious about getting onto a, a bus or a tube train after this, you know, because yeah, you, it's it's more than just like you say, it's more than just going to be a cold or a flu. It could be a lot worse, you know. But no, it's, a, I, I, yeah. it's a real, it's, I mean, like you say, I mean, it's going to impact a lot of things. But you, like you said there, you, you, you carried on working. So it wasn't just a case of, you know, trying to get yeah. by or treading water, but you actually carried on working. And you've got a lot to do. I mean, the Ford is, you know, one of the biggest companies uh, around. What is it? The third, uh, Europe's huge for you guys. Um, yeah. UK is, I think, the third biggest market for Ford, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and you've got things like, obviously, the Maki is coming. Uh, the Puma was only just starting to 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 get out there. Yes. So yep. you've got quite a lot coming, haven't you? Oh no, absolutely. You know, we've we've also got the uh, the Cougar that we were literally just launching uh, as we as we went into lockdown. In fact, mm-hmm. had to cancel our European launch mm-hmm. uh, and have reverted to to. In fact, yeah, uh, I missed out on that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Next one, you're on. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of new product coming. We're we're just in the process of launching the the mild hybrid fiesta got a mild hybrid focus as well sort of later this month so lots of new product coming through and of course one of the big issues has been we haven't been building vehicles but Mm -hmm. the dealerships have been closed as well when it comes to sales we've managed to to keep the servicing open so -hmm. we could keep the essential workers still still service with their vehicles but but the sales um have only just started up again a week or so ago and again, we're not quite sure how that's going to work out over the next month or mm. two because, yeah, you've, you've got a group of people that didn't manage to pick up their cars in March when the lockdown came who will be wanting to, to pick mm. that vehicle up or to buy that vehicle. Quite a few finance programs, you know, three-year finance programs came to an end March, April. So again, there's probably some pent-up demand yeah. there. And we're also finding that it's quite a lot of people have saved money during yeah. lockdown so they're yeah. able to go out it so there's there's you know, these little pockets of demand that i think you'll see coming through initially yeah. so it's going to be really 
testing to see what June is like. But after that, what happens then? Because yeah. what we found a lot of other European markets is they've been closed, but when they've been reopened, we're only seeing about 50% of the footfall that you would normally see at this time of year. So the demand isn't there. So is there a need for a stimulus to get people back yeah. into dealerships again? That's very I, interesting I think, because I think the early indicators have been, like you said, that people have gone back to buying cars and stuff like that. Yeah. There's been A, pent-up demand, B, people trying to continue what they started off before the lockdown. But C, also a lot of people thinking that actually, like me, I don't want to get on public transport again. I want to have my own car. So I think we're seeing yeah. a lot of that. I think that particularly benefits the used car bar. Uh, car market yeah but like you say i think after the, the initial surge there may be a dip is, is is that what you're seeing as well in terms of early information that you're getting from your dealers at the moment it you know we're actually doing pretty well in terms of order tape but i think that's still the concern that at some point we might see that demand that pent-up demand sort of tailing off mm-hmm. and the new normal being a lot less than it is at the moment so and that's a real concern I think not just for the car industry, but also mm. for the wider economy in the UK. Because, yeah. you know, we've got about a million people that work in the car industry yeah. in Britain. There's about 170,000 directly involved in building stuff. Mm. But then you've got well over 800,000 involved in all the servicing, the dealer mm. work, etc., etc. So it's a huge part of the British economy. And if that's not firing on all cylinders, it can hold back the rest of the economy yeah so we really need this the industry and the dealerships and the sales to go through whether that will require some kind of, of market stimulus yeah that i think that's very possible what mm-hmm. that might be i think is still open to debate but i think it's also important that you know because if you've got people that are maintaining their jobs in the car industry being paid they're going out they're buying goods and services yeah. that helps the, rest of the industry um even with, you know, if you go back to the last scrappage scheme, yeah, there was government assistance with those. They were sort of jointly funded by government and also by, by the, the auto industry, by the car companies. But again, for the amount of money the government would put into something like that, they're getting revenue back in, in the form of, uh, you know, taxation. You've got your 20% yeah. Yeah. VAT. There's a huge do- I mean, you know, there's a huge domino effect of that to the economy because yeah. you stimulate one thing and you impact lots of other things. So just as Excellent. a final talk, because we've got, we, I always yeah. go well over the time on these things, because yeah. it's always fascinating to end up, you know, I always say, I'm going to stick to 30 minutes and I start talking to somebody well, and it's always fascinating and brilliant and I always go over it. But to talk it, like, you know, to end on an optimistic note, what, what is coming yeah. where people can get excited about? I was reading about the Mach 1, the Mustang Mach 1, <laughs> which is being introduced. <laughs> in the, yeah. and, as you, and as you well know, I'm a huge Mustang yeah. fan. So I'm like, what, are we going to be getting the Mach 1 in, uh, in the UK? I'd love to tell you, but at the moment, I can't. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what you'll have to wait for that. At the moment, it's, it's, you know, we've announced it in the US. It's a great looking product. Um, we'll have to see on that front. But we do have the Mach-E coming, don't forget. Yeah, we've got yeah. that coming. When's that, coming? When's that coming? When's, when's that going to really hit us? Um, I think you'll start to see that more at the, the beginning of next year. We were hoping it would be sort of end of this year, but the way things have been in terms yeah. of you know, bringing vehicles in, etc. But that will be winging its way to us very soon. Like you said, you know, Puma, uh, we've got that coming along the wings. Yeah. I, I think you guys are also waiting with yeah. anticipation for the ST version of that, yeah. which will be, be something to, uh, to really keep you 
keep you busy with. Uh, and of course, Cougar as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of product coming through. Um, so uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens with the Mac one, but there's a lot more to keep you busy with at the moment, <laughs> that belief. Well, I'm looking forward to trying all of those products, including the Mac yep. one at some point. I think that, I mean, <laughs> just, I mean, just as a final thought, because we, are, we, we did see an incredible acceptance of the Mustang, which is essentially an American car in the European market and in the British market. Yes. And there has just been, I think there's been some, uh, I don't know if they're rumors or if they're confirmed, but they've talked that Chevrolet might bring the Corvette, the new mid-engine Corvette also to the yeah. European and the UK market. So are we going to see a lot more of, uh, especially now that we have a new economic relationship or we're supposed to have with America, are we going to be seeing a lot more of transference from the vehicles there to here? I think what you'll see, we've, we've set up three groups within Ford. Okay, Our new business structure is, is focused around commercial vehicles. Then we also have the passenger vehicle part of the business, which is primarily vehicles that are built here in Europe. And then you've got the import side. So vehicles like the Mackie, are coming through on the import side, the, the new import business. And I think what you'll see from Ford, we want to grow that part of the business. Uh, it's got some real potential there. And we'll look around the Ford world, not just to the US, but to elsewhere, to see what other products are there that we think can make a real difference in Europe and really help sort of, you know, brand reputation and customer, customer views towards Ford. So that's something we're looking at. I uh, can't give you anything today, I'm afraid, but I think that, that could be a really exciting part of the business in, in the next couple of years. I'm seeing Shelby's on my streets. So that's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, oh, honestly, I'm missing. One of, the, one of the things I'm, honestly, between you and me, one of the things I'm missing since I moved back from the Middle East are V8 muscle cars, big time. But uh, John, thank you so much. I know you're extremely busy at the moment. So thanks so much for taking the time. And for doing this, it's been absolutely fascinating. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. We'll have to do it again sometime. And I guess I should say to you, right? <laughs> live live long, long and prosper. prosper I know you're a real Trekkie, and I can see, <laughs> I can see that old. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think it's. I think this has to be the new greeting anyway, going forward. Now I, that we I, can't I, do handshakes, I, so. why we're we not doing it now, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we just started a new fad again. Brilliant. Right, Thank you so much. Well, that conversation went in quite a few different directions that I probably wasn't anticipating, but it's always fun and when you get into these things you just never know how it's going to go. Uh, I was hoping for maybe one or two more exclusive there, I was hoping maybe for a confirmation that the Mac 1 Mustang is coming to the UK, didn't quite get that, but did get a little bit of tantalizing glimpse into the possibility of more cooperation between Ford UK and Ford America, so perhaps some more Ford metal coming our way from across the Atlantic. Fingers crossed. Um, but anyway, it was a great conversation. Let me know what you thought of it in the comments above, below, elsewhere, wherever you can. And make sure that you're subscribing to this channel. Just hit that bell notification icon. And of course, follow me on all social media. Just search for hashtag browncarguy. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And of course, subscribe to browncarguy.com. And also, if you enjoyed this video, then if you can, support me on patreon.com forward slash Shazad Sheikh and there you'll also find an exclusive piece of content for me to you which is like a, a comedy parody sequel to the original Cannonball Run movie. I think it's fun. You let me know what you think of it. Thanks so much for watching and I'll catch you in the next one.